0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 41, if you will. Genesis, chapter 41. And we're on number 47, number 47 of our statements about types, Joseph being a type of Christ. And so we'll read the verses of Scripture. Let's read 41, verse 32 through 36. Let's read this passage, it says, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh uh, look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them... Gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for, for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. So what do we find here Joseph doing? Joseph appears here. As a wonderful counselor, he gives counsel. He says, this is what Pharaoh needs to do. And we just read it. He says, let him take up the, in the seven good years, let him take up food and store it up. Then he will be prepared for the famine when it comes. And how is this a type of Christ? This is a picture, of course, of Christ who is our wonderful counselor. And the Bible tells us that that's exactly what he is. The Bible says that His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You find that in Isaiah 9, I believe it's verse 6, when it says in the prophecy concerning Christ, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then it says His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we know that during the life of Jesus, He gave counsel concerning many things as He talked. He taught the apostles and gave counsel. And we find one of the best sections of counsel in in all the New Testament is what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And he tells us how to face most anything that we come up against in those uh, chapters. And uh, if we'll study them carefully, we'll find it's, it's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And by the way, it's, it's not what evangelists today would call the greatest sermon. It's what the Bible teaches is the greatest sermon. Because we have all kinds of opinions about what preaching should be and is nowadays. There's a whole lot of opinions. But when you come to the Bible, we'll find Jesus said, as He sat upon the mountain and taught the disciples, He begins with the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So that's where it all starts. And then he says, we, we realize that we're poverty of spirit or spiritual paupers. We don't have any spiritual advantages. And then the next thing he says, blessed are they that mourn. Well, to know that we're poor spiritually helps us to hu- humiliate ourselves, come to a place of mourning for our condition, and then on and on. And these are like links of a chain that are joined together, one after the other, in sequence. And you know, if you are runs of a ladder, and it starts at the bottom, and you climb up each and every run, the beatitudes, till you get to the top. But that's another sermon altogether. But what we're saying simply is that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and that's how this pictures uh, Christ. Another good verse of Scripture is Colossians two verse three, if you care to look. Colossians chapter two verse three says, "In whom," speaking of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Alright, let me give you number 48, if you will. And number 48 is also found in chapter 41. You hold your place in Genesis where we're studying. When I say chapter 41, you go back immediately to our context, so that you won't get mixed up as to where we are. So just hold your place there. We'll study Genesis 41 and 42, and we'll find as we continue that there's reference after reference of how that Joseph is a type of Christ. But in Genesis 41, verses 37 through 39, it says, "...and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh." Now notice, "...and in the eyes of his, all his servants." And it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom is the Spirit, the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee, he recognized God was, was leading and guiding him, show thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. So Joseph's counsel commended itself to Pharaoh and his officers. That's our next statement. Joseph's counsel commended itself, this is number 48, to Pharaoh and his officers. When, when Pharaoh put this before his officers, he says, Can you find any other one that's as wise and following God's leadership and in whom the Spirit of God is as this man here? So he put the proposition to his uh, leaders by the way, it's good to seek counsel of those that you associate with, especially of your uh, leaders in the church. Seek counsel and follow their guidance. Remember in the days of the kings when when uh, a certain one forsook the counsel of the old men and they disregarded it. And uh, they sought the counsel of, of some that had just started, the younger men. And they found out that when They forsook the counsel of the old men that the young men wanted to make the burdens of the children of Israel twice as hard as before. And I can give you that that in the Kings. The days of Rehoboam, I believe it is. And their burdens twice as hard. And the older men said, no, you keep it like it was established where you will not burden the people so much. You know, it amazes me today how many churches and how many pastors burden the people with overmuch burden, when you're supposed to make their load lighter instead of heavier, and if you if you realize what we're talking about this morning, the the people of God used to serve freely and willingly instead of as if they were driven. You don't drive you don't drive sheep. You might drive cattle, but you don't drive sheep. You lead sheep, and that's what uh, God's people need to be led. Somebody. Someone has said, Well, Brother Joyce, you don't take up an offering Sunday night. You don't take up one Wednesday night? No. Most of our people give all they can give and afford to give on Sunday morning. Now, I know almost every Baptist church I've ever been in, every time there's any three to five meeting together, you can get, guarantee you the offering place is going to go around. But someone said, Why do you do this? Well, I figured that when they get through uh, the service, that they might want to have enough left to go over to McDonald's and get them a hamburger or something. And you know, if you take all their money and drain everything they've got, well, they might not have that kind. And you can so persuade people to give every dime they've got if you want to. I mean, I've seen it done to where the families, the working class of families, they don't have enough to supply their own needs. And you say, well, aren't you supposed to give to the Lord? Yes, but you give your tithes and offerings. And God will bless it, and He will provide your needs. And I'm not the kind of preacher that's going to sit here and drain you dry, even if the church has problems. We'll just mention them. If you want to freely give, that's your business. And I know that most of the people here give their tithes and offerings, and that's all we ask. And that's all God's Word asks, by the way. So let's go on with this. So Joseph is seen here in his counsel that he commends, that he speaks to Pharaoh, he commends itself to Pharaoh and his officers. We read verses 37-39. through There's other scriptures. Let's look at John 7, verse 46. Notice what it says here. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God, heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So, when Christ spoke the truth, it was... It commended itself to those that were hearing. Now, another, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. This is the one I really want to get to. Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. As Jesus was concluding his Sermon on the Mount, it says in verse 28, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Remember when Joseph. Told, told Pharaoh what his plan was. Pharaoh was convinced that this was a man of authority and a man of truth. And he accepted uh, Joseph's testimony concerning what ought to be done. And in relation to that, he said, We're going to follow his counsel. Isn't it wonderful to find someone that does not change? Every turn of the road like Joseph didn't change. He had his convictions. Jesus certainly kept his all the way through. The Apostle Paul kept his convictions. Peter did. The Apostles stood for what they stood for with their own lives. And you and I ought to take our stand on the truth of God's Word and on the doctrines of grace and of faith and continue steadfast in them. Well, let me give you number number 48. How about number 49? 49. Let's read Genesis 41 again. Let's read verse 39 and 40. And we read verse 39, but it says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So Joseph is duly exalted and set over all Egypt. That's the next statement. Number 49. Joseph is duly exalted and set over all of Egypt. 1 Peter 3, verse 22. It says this. It says, well, I don't have three. Let me have three. Verse 22. It says, who is gone? Well, let's read verse 21. The last part, it says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The last part of verse 21 in 1 Peter 3. And then it says, so I wanted to show you, it's reference to Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Now look, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. Just as all the people there of Egypt were made subject to Joseph under Pharaoh's command, so as Christ ascended into heaven And he's at the right hand of God, the right hand of power. And it says, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So he's given him. God the Father has given Christ rule over everything. And everything is in subjection to Jesus. Look in the book of Philippians, if you will. Chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read concerning Christ here. Uh, we have to see, first of all, his humiliation, and then we'll see what God has done for him. <clears throat> we begin in verse 5, and we'll go through verse uh, uh, 11. Verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But then what did he do? But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant to the glory of God the Father. So you see how He was exalted. In fact, God the Father so exalted Christ that He says, Every name in heaven and earth shall bow before Him. And He's the head of everything. He's put all things in subjection under His feet. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 where He makes man over all of His creation. He said He's put all things in subjection under His feet concerning man. And then it says, And yet we... See not all things put under Him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So, all things are put under man as far as the dominion of things of this earth, but yet not all things, because we see Jesus, and all things are put really under Christ, because man is under Christ. You read that passage. Hebrews 2. Let me give it to you. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse 5. For unto angels, unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast madeest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he in that He put all in subjection under Him. Now listen, He left nothing that is not put under Him. We're talking about man now. But now we see not yet all things. Here's the only exception. But now we see not yet all things put under Him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And it goes on to show, it says, For it became Him for whom are all things, that's Christ, and by whom are all things, that's Christ, In bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so on and so forth. You could go on and on and read. There's no end to the statements there. But simply what we wanted to point out is that Joseph was exalted in due time. And in due time after Christ's humiliation, after his sufferings and death, after his resurrection, he was exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. Now then, let me give you another statement. Genesis again. Let's see where we are. That was 49, wasn't it? Okay, number 50. Joseph was seated on the throne of another. And we have that in 41, verse 40. Look for, We read verse 40, but sometimes there's more than one point in the same verse. He says, Thou shalt be over my house according to thy word. Shall all the people be ruled... Only in the throne, this is the statement, only in the throne will I be greater than thou. See that in verse 40? Only in the throne. And what does that mean? That Joseph was seated on the throne of another. He was seated on the throne of Pharaoh, but only in the throne would he be greater than than Joseph. Now then, how does this pertain to Christ? Look in Revelation 3, verse 21. Revelation 3, verse 21. It says, to him that overcometh will I grant... Now, Jesus is saying this to, his, to you and I, to, to believers in the church age. He says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. See, Christ is equally seated there on the heavenly throne. Now, that's a very important verse. Revelation 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. Now we go back to Genesis again and get another point. That was number, number 50. Now I'll give you 51. Number 51. We said there's 65 of these. We're progressing along. We'll give you all of them as we go along. Joseph was exalted to the throne because of His personal worth. He was worth sitting on that throne. And we could read that same passage in Genesis 41 again, 37-40. through The whole passage that we've just read, but I won't take time to read read it again. I'll just point out that He was exalted to that throne because of His personal worth. Now, Christ was exalted to His place also because of His personal worth. And we just read that. The reference would be uh, Genesis 41, verse 37 through 40, the same passage we've been referring to. And it would also include Philippians 2, 6 through 9, the same place where we saw Christ exalted to the right hand of the Father. So that would be number 51 is just another statement concerning Christ's place on the right hand of the Father as Joseph was on the, uh, the personal worth to to uh, Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Now let me give you another one. 41 verse 42. So let's look at this. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now what do we find here? Joseph was invested. This is number number 52 in our uh, types Uh, And Joseph was invested with such insignia as became his new position. What was the insignia? He gave him that ring. He put it upon his hand. And that showed that he had the authority. He was invested with authority. And the insignia of that authority was the ring that Pharaoh put upon his hand. And of course, he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and gold chain about his neck. And verse 43 says, He made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler of all the land of Egypt. So what we're seeing here is that Christ was exalted to a place and he had the insignia of what it takes to be the person of authority. We could go to Matthew 28 where he says, All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Matthew chapter 28. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, 28, if you will. Verse 18, right on down. It says, in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he gives us the Great Commission. So, he he had the insignia of his new position and the authority that we'll take. By the way, this will overlap to our next statement, but... We just wanted to mention that. Look in Acts 5, verse 31. Acts 5, verse 31. Remember, he was invested with such insignia as became his new position. Acts 5, verse 31. Now, let's read verse 30 and 31. It says, "...the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree." Now, verse 31. "...him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a Savior." For to give repentance to Israel and, and forgiveness of sin. Now notice, it says, For to be a prince and a savior. What is a prince? He's next in line for the full authority of the throne. And Christ is next to the Father in his throne. So he has the insignia, being a prince. Then uh, turn to Hebrews 2 verse 9. Well, I think we just referred to that in a casual way. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. But it says he was crowned with glory and with honor, as was Joseph crowned with the glory that Pharaoh gave him. Now the next statement is found in Genesis 41, verse 43, and we've already read it. But all these things are tied together where it says, and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. The statement here is Joseph's authority and glory are publicly owned. Publicly owned. We find that true in that reference I gave you in Philippians two ten, where he says that Christ that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, things in heaven, things earth, things under the earth. And also turn to Acts two verse thirty six. I hope I'm not taking you too fast. Acts 2 verse 36, and notice what it says here. God said, now it's, we're dealing with the thought that His authority was publicly recognized. In, in verse 36, Acts 2 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, see, all of them, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel know. So this is the public owning of Christ. That God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified. He's made Him what? Both Lord and Christ. His glory is publicly owned. Now number 54. Turn back to Genesis again. 41 verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zathnepaneah. See that? Verse 45, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Panathia, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, and Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. And what is the statement here concerning Joseph? It says, Joseph Joseph received from Pharaoh a new name. By the way, if you will recall, that's the way we started out, wasn't it? In a sense, we start out with that statement showing that this name was a new name in the meaning of Joseph, his name, Joseph in Zaphne, Panathia. Okay. It means that, that uh, Joseph had two names. He had Joseph. That was his human name. But he had this new name. And this refers to Christ as having two names as well. And he received this of Pharaoh. Joseph did, just as Jesus received a new name from the Father. Remember in Matthew chapter one, I believe it is, thou shalt call his name Jesus. So God the Father gave him an earthly name, but he is Christ, he is an anointed. Look in Matthew chapter one, if you will, and we'll see a double meaning here as well. Matthew chapter one, and notice what it says in verse uh, 21, "And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name. Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. Now look, follow it on down. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus means Savior. Emmanuel means God with us. Which being interpreted is God with us. So He has... A double name here. We know that Jesus actually has many names. And we could go ahead and give you those. But we'll confine our thoughts to uh, basically what we're talking about. That Joseph received from Pharaoh a new name. And Christ received a new name. And they called his name Jesus. And then he was according to the prophet Emmanuel. And we know we've already read, or at least quoted in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where He has many names. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So He has many names. And Christ means the Anointed One, the Messiah. So you have many names given to Jesus. But Jesus is His human name, and He's God... Uh, God's only begotten Son, so He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is uh, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And all these names, wonderful Counselor that we find in Isaiah. You go through the Old Testament and find uh, many names attached to God, to Jehovah God. Jehovah Nissa. Jehovah I think that's the one that means my God shall see and provide Himself a Lamb and in Genesis chapter 22, let me see if I can find it. it says uh, Jehovah Jireh in, in chapter 22 of Genesis, when Abraham found the ram caught in the thicket, and then Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The word means the Lord will see or provide. The Lord will see or provide Himself a lamb. And I have a whole list I could get in and out of my briefcase and show you all the meanings of, of His name in the Old Testament. But we won't have time for that. If you'd like them, I'll give them to you later. Alright, let's look at this now. We just dealt with the fact that Joseph received from Pharaoh a new name. Now the next one we find is number 55. Number fifty five. Let's look at Genesis 41, verse 45. 41 and verse 45. It says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah But look, and there's another statement here. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. He was given a wife. And that's our statement here. Joseph has a wife given to him. Someone says, "Well, how does that relate to Jesus?" We find that Jesus does not have an earthly wife as a as a woman, a person, but but all through the Bible, Israel was seen as the wife of Jehovah, and Jesus is uh, the church will be his bride in a future time. Some have connected the fact that this was a Gentile, that uh, all the Gentile world and church will be given to Christ as well as the Jewish nation was previously called to be the wife of Jehovah. Let me show you how, how that the nation of Israel itself of old was called Jehovah's wife. And then we know that Christ will have a bride and that bride is the church. But first of all, let's deal with the Old Testament. Jeremiah 3, verse 14. Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah 3. In verse 14. And let's see what it says here. And there are several places. Verse 14 says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. See, Jehovah God says to Israel of old, when they were backslidden away from me, He says, Turn, O backsliding children, and He's talking about the children of Israel, For I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding and so on. He said, if you'll turn back to me, I'm going to give you pastors or pastors of the flock or uh, shepherds of the flock, I should say, which pastors are to be. And even in the Old Testament, God considered Israel of old as married unto him. Let me give you another reference. Look in the book of Jeremiah 3, verse 20. Down verse 20. He says, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. As a woman would depart from her husband, he says, You've departed from me in the same way, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. So you see, he deals with the nation as a people. He calls Israel his wife. Let me see if I can find another one. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, and verse 2. He says, "...Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness." In the land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of His increase. So, at the beginning of Israel's relationship, she was to God as one espoused to Him. And God remembers her in her youth. So we find that in the Old Testament, Jehovah refers to the people as that if He were married to them. Now, we come over in the New Testament and we know that uh, Paul says uh, that He's joined the... Believers of the New Testament to, to Christ. And we find, let's just read in the book of Revelation. The final outcome of it will be this in the 19th chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Let me get, begin reading with verse uh, 6. Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude. Now look, and the voice of And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. See that? And to her, that is His wife, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So we find the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. And He saith unto me, Right Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So you find this marriage supper of the Lamb taking place when Christ comes again in power and great glory. The final outcome of the, the saints is, is their relationship to the Lamb, the Lamb of God, which, who is Christ. And you find that they're dressed... Uh, are clothed in white raiment, clean and white, which shows their purity unto God, and they'll be joined to Him, not in a physical way, but in the way that is spoken of here, that we'll be joined to Christ as the, the ones that make up his, his bride. Men and women, boys and girls, saved, saints of God, children of God, will have that close relationship to Jesus. So we see the relationship in the Old Testament happens to be Jehovah's relationship to Israel. In the New Testament, it's it's, uh, the believer's relationship to Christ. And the final outcome of it, we just read. Paul tells us us in the the, uh, Corinthians, I believe it is, that I've espoused you into one one, uh, person, and that is Christ. So that's the way we're to live, as if we're to be the Lord's in the future time. Okay, that was number, what, 55, wasn't it? That Joseph had a wife given to him. We don't have time for number 56, but it'll continue with Joseph's marriage and how it was arranged by Pharaoh. We'll get into that. So we pick up with verse, with the 56th one. Number 56. Does everyone have down to 55? Okay. If you have any missing, let me know. 55 was the last one. Joseph had a wife given to him. And we gave you Old Testament references, God and Israel. New Testament references, uh, Christ and the saints, or the church, if you want to call it that. So, we'll pick up there with the the next one, which would be number fifty-six.